Well, greetings. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night <laughs> from Ojai, California. Can you all... Can you hear me? You can. Okay. Um, so I am speaking from uh, this peaceful little valley in California. Um, I've been working in my office here over the last week, uh, pulling up uh, beautiful images of medieval Islamic geometry, um, and acutely aware that in the streets, in the cities around the nation and the world, there is um, righteous and justifiable outrage. So I hope to make some kind of connections here. Um, join the dots or draw a line between the points is a more appropriate analogy. Um, very grateful to have this opportunity to um, talk in this series in memory of two of our honorary fellows. I did not know Michel Chodkovich other than through his extraordinary works, um, but knew Keith Critchlow well um, from the first week of architecture school. Very fortunate to have talk, been taught by him for two years and worked with him on projects at Chartres and at the Alhambra. Um, and like so many people, was very um, inspired by him. He was a most generous teacher. Um, and as some others connected with the Ibn Arabi Society, my studies with him and with geometry coincided with studies of Ibn Arabi and continued through the years to intertwine with each other and influence each other. So this talk will be a kind of a mashup of um, give an idea of how Keith taught geometry, where it came from, um, what Ibn Arabi has to say about it, and then some um, view of the Islamic geometry um, at the time of Ibn Arabi that Keith loved so much and, and knew so well. So I will now try and share my screen. I hope this works. Not so far, what's happening? Oh, here we go. Okay, everybody can see in here. That's fine, good. Good. Um, so here's a photograph of Keith uh, being presented uh, with an award from the Urban Arabi Society of this beautiful handmade compass by David Apthorpe and, and John Brass. And this is from Plato's Republic. Um, the knowledge at which geometry aims is knowledge of the eternal and not of anything transient which will decay. Um, Keith's original studies of geometry came through um, Plato and he constantly went back um, to this point, to the, to the point of the eternal. 
So a lot of what I'm going to talk about is going to be very um, elementary or principial, I should say. And I, I take my lead there from Keith because he always returned to the first principles in almost all of his talks. Why is that not happening? Why is my next one not happening? Jane, go to the Go to the what? Oh, okay. Um, so just to make the point, somebody asked in Stephen's talk about um, pre-Islamic geometry. So just to make an obvious but often forgotten point, um, I think as soon as human beings became conscious on Earth, they were conscious of geometry. If you imagine uh, tribesmen crossing the desert of what's now Arabia, they would have known intrinsically that they were in the center of the circle of the horizon, which was um, marked out by the sunrises and sunsets and by the, obviously, the movements of the bodies at night. Um, and the sun would mark out this very basic fourfoldness, um, the equinoxes and the solstices. So we talk now of the earth um, being connected with fourness as though that was some intellectual symbolic number. It was, it was literally the experience of um, many pre-modern societies who were so familiar with their um, environments. So this is a photograph um, from Keith's book, Time Stands Still, which investigated the um, megalithic stone circles in Britain. Um, this is actually a photograph of some Borneo tribesmen, and they are measuring the length of the sun's shadow with this um, stick, the gnomon, this sacred stick. Um, so this represented um, a compass, basically, a center point of a compass. Uh, and this is a drawing from Keith's book, um, Time Stands Still, a speculative notion of how megalithic men would have drawn out the, the circles. Again, with a basic compass, uh, the point being a stick and the movable arm or leg being the, um, a rope. It turns out the, the book is an investigation of the very complex geometry that was actually used with these megalithic circles. A lot of them are in fact ovals with multiple points. Um, so I think it's clear from megalithic geometry, from Egyptian geometry, um, there's Babylonian geometry, Mesoamerican geometry. It has been part of human consciousness in quite sophisticated ways for millennia, often before writing. Um, we, modern, modern 21st century humans who uh, mostly live in cities, are disconnected from our horizons, um, but we have other images. Um, we are told about 
the Big Bang, this, this point out of which came um, time and space. That on the macrocosmic level, and then on the microscopic level, um, the human egg, this cell in the human body, this point out of which uh, our bodies, our materia emerged. Divided into two, um, then into four, and then into these uh, polyhedral shapes, um, and eventually forming this intricate geometry of the uh, double helix of the DNA, which is our um, builds up our our uniqueness. So geometry is absolutely intrinsic in our world and absolutely intrinsic to ourselves. So, to get to the point, Ibn Arabi says very simply, we've been given the point because it's the origin of the existence of the circumference of the circle. The point is being, al-haq, the space outside the circumference is non-being, and that which is in between is the possible. The world in its entirety is circular in form within which are then differentiated the forms of all figures such as the quadrature, triplicity, hexad, and so on indefinitely. So within this vast circle of um, manifestation are all the multiplicity of manifestations, each with their own point. So just to say again, Stephen mentioned this in his talk, um, the compass has two legs. One leg is the fixed point, um, which Stephen associated with Aleph, uh, the point from which manifestation um, emerges. The uh, movable point, the, the lead, the pencil, is the one that forms all the multiplicity of shapes. But the actual motivation of all of this is coming from a point where these two legs meet, which is outside the plane of reference. It's in a different orbit altogether, not of this world, not of this plane. So here are multiple points creating multiple arcs, multiple circles within the vast circle of existence. So as a geometer, um, and, and Keith uh, was a geometer, geometry for him was an, an art and a science and a practice and a contemplation. Um, one of the first things uh, a geometer would do was make their circle um, and then make the second circle, the image of the first circle by placing the point um, of the center on the circumference of the first circle. And the shape created by the intersection of these two circles um, is called in Christianity the vesica piscis, it's a very important shape. It's associated with Christ uh, because it is the intersection 
the intersection point of the divine world and the human world. Um, I, I've been asking for some time what this shape, what, what word there is in Arabic that describes this shape. Um, and recently I spoke to Sama Akash, who, who will be talking in a few week's time in this Zoom series, and whose book, um, Cosmology and Architecture in Pre-Modern Islam, is an amazing resource on this subject. Um, he has said he's not found a term for this in Arabic, Persian, or Turkish. Um, if anybody knows of one, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. But whether there is a term or not, it's a very important um, shape in geometry and I believe illustrates um, something that Ibn Arabi says um, about this. Now, how do I get some of these people out of here? Hang on a second. Oh, there we go. Talking about the um, Christ-like figure or the perfect human who is the representative between the divine and the human worlds. This person alone possesses two perfect relationships. By one, they enter into the divine presence, and by the other, they enter into the cosmic presence. Thus they are, as it were, a mediator between the world and the real, bringing together the created and the creator. They are the dividing line between the divine and cosmic presences as the dividing line between the shadow and the sunlight. This is their reality. They have the perfection of both eternity and newness. And then this shape, um, which obviously illustrates the first threeness, um, the first circle, the second circle, and the intersection, is also um, uh, the perfect uh, proportion of two equilateral triangles. Um, the proportion of which the, the horizontal of the vesica piscis is um, to the vertical, as one is to the square root of three, which is um, an incredibly important um, proportional system, very easily seen in geometry, but impossible to express mathematically. Um, you can see it as soon as you draw two circles, um, but it's an irrational number. Mathematically, you can't ever approach it. And then you also get the first fourness by the vertical and the horizontal and the square that appears um, in the circle between the two. I really apologize for the scruffiness of this geometry. It is no fault of Keith that I've done such a poor job here. I did it very quickly and then blew it up. But um, you'll excuse me, it shows the point anyway. And here is um, Ibn Arabi's drawing that um, Stephen showed also. This is the, the sphere of universal matter surrounding the sphere of universal body, um, which he says is not yet spatial, um, which sounds odd because he's talking about a sphere. But I think that um, example of the compass 
showing that the shapes that emerge on the plane of the paper are actually caused by um, a circle which is being drawn outside that plane. And then we have the throne, um, the appearance of reality in the square here with God sitting upon it and his feet and his footstool. So the square represents this earth, this manifestation. And this is another drawing um, that Stephen showed from Ibn Arabi with the emerging of these uh, realms of being um, from the divine presence through the four principal names of life and knowledge and will and power and on out to the um, elements of this world, fire, earth, water, air. So, um, these are from Keith's book, Order in Space, um, which was an absolute Bible for architects and artists and geometers and philosophers. You know, a wonderful explanation of two and three dimensional geometry um, and the philosophy behind it. So the, this is what he would start almost every lecture with. There are various ways of looking at this. So we start with the point. Um, the point moves um, out of itself and creates the line uh, which has length uh, but no uh, breadth or depth. The line rotates around the point to create the circle. The circle rotates around its diameter to create the sphere. Or, and he would work through these movements to create the first regular polygonal shapes. Um, the point moves to the line, the line moves through 60 degrees to make the triangle. The triangle moves through 60 degrees to make the tetrahedron. The first regular solid shape, three-dimensional shape. By regular, I mean made of equal regular polygons. Or you can see the cube, um, the point moving to the line, the line moving to the square, the square moving to the cube. These last two, um, the tetrahedron and the cube, are two of the five platonic solids. These are the only shapes um, made up of regular polygons that fit within a sphere such that all their vertices touch the edge of the sphere and a sphere in their interior would touch the center of each of their vertices. Now in a circle there is no limit to the number of regular polygons you can draw but in this world in three-dimensional solid geometry there are only five shapes uh, that meet this criteria. And that has been a source of wonder and mystery and investigation and mysticism for centuries. They were um, described by Plato in the Timaeus, um, discovered, it is said, by Pythagoras. They relate to each other in, in extraordinary harmonies. They all nestle in and around each other. 
um, Keith would have his students work endlessly with these, um, making them with sticks and glue and paper and really coming to a kind of understanding of their proportions. Um, I am not aware of Ibn Arabi talking of any of these other than the cube. Uh, if anybody can give me information about that, I'd love to hear about it. He concentrated on, on the cube. Um, but there, speaking of the cube, there is one interesting relationship there, that it, it two uh, tetrahedrons intersect to create the vertices of the cube. So if you think of the platonic solids representing the different elements of the earth, the tetrahedron representing fire um, or spirit, you have a, um, the intersection of one coming from above and one coming from below, which is the sort of internal geometry of a cube. So what does Ibn Arabi say about, about this progression? he calls uh, the point the essence, the huck, the origin. He calls the line, uh, which has length, but no uh, breadth or depth, the angelic presence, um, because he says the reality of the angel does not accept deviation. It is the straight line connecting the divine source to the human receptacle. So this has no, it's coming directly. Uh, the plane, he says, is the world of the imagination. It has uh, length and breadth, but no depth. And on it, um, all the images are projected. So this is the world of visions and dreams and spirits and jinn. They don't have um, substance, but they are visible. They have presence. And then, of course, the cube, which is uh, the, human, the human realm, this world. And at the center of this world, as we saw in Stephen's talk, is the Kaaba. Um, the point, at least the, the black stone at the corner of the cube, the point from which the world um, emerged. And as Stephen pointed out, uh, the cube has, has six sides, the top open to heaven, uh, the bottom attached to the earth, those two sides not visible to the pilgrims circumambulating. The pilgrims move around the four sides, the four directions. And then he talks about the human body. Um, previously, when I've given this talk, I've used Leonardo's um, Vitruvian Man, but in honor of what's going on in the streets now, I'm using the image of a woman of color. Thanks to Allegra for helping me search this out. So he talks about the human having this cosmic body of three dimensions, exactly in the way he, he talked about the cube um, emerging from the plane and the line and the point. So in the upright vertical dimension is the, um, from above is the angelic presence um, bringing, uh, communicating directly from the divine. 
from below is the vegetal, um, bringing nourishment from the earth. And this line is a right, a divine right um, in the construction of the human body. And on the horizontal plane are these four directions. Uh, the direction to the front of vision, to the rear of fear, to the left of weakness, to the right of strength. And, and this is where things are mutable, things move, things wobble. Um, this is where we go off balance. Um, it's from this plane that we need to find um, our center by the correct posture. So he writes about this cosmic person. In their essence, this individual corresponds to the divine presence. God created them in respect of their figure and their organs with six directions. These were made manifest through them because they are to the world as the point is to the circumference. <clears throat> so again, coming back to this original point of our own existence and our own essence. So, um, I wanted to talk a bit about the world that Ibn Arabi uh, grew up in, the world of Al-Andalus, where he lived until um, he was in his 30. Um, this time and place of extraordinary knowledge and learning, particularly in Cordoba. This is the great mosque at Cordoba. Um, studies in geometry were extremely sophisticated, uh, along with many other subjects. Um, so he would have been very familiar uh, with geometry in the way it was practiced. There's not any evidence that he was actually a geometer. Obviously, he knew all the basic uh, forms that appear in the Futuhat, but his deep knowledge of where geometry came from and the meanings that it, that it brought forth um, would definitely have been uh, you know, extracted by him with his insight from a wealth of extraordinary geometry he would see around him. Um, so this is the interior of the mosque at Cordoba, um, originally built um, by Rahman I in the 8th, 9th century, um, subsequently added on to into the 10th um, and 11th century. Ibn Arabi knew this mosque very well. We know he, he speaks of it. Um, and he tells a story of it is, uh, while he was praying in this mosque that he finally realized that uh, this world was nothing and he renounced it and um, made his commitment to follow the way. So I like to think uh, that he might perhaps have been praying directly in front of this extraordinarily beautiful mihrab um, built by Hakam II in the 10th century, a very learned uh, ruler of Cordoba. Um, for those of you who've been to Cordoba, you know you used, you used to be able to walk inside it. You can't get very close to it anymore. Um, but it is a three-dimensional space. 
the muezzin would pass through this arch into this octagonal space behind um, to recite and the recitations would um, be projected back into the into the mosque so it itself derives from some it, it, it emerges out of some very interesting geometry the shape of the arch is the 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 shape of the arch and the springing point of the arch come from this vesica piscis so this representative of the word of God, the Muezzin, um, is walking through this space, this interconnection of the divine and human worlds. And the geometry of the facade of the uh, mihrab, which has Quranic quotations and absolutely beautiful um, vegetable drawings and lovely mosaics, from Byzantium, the proportions are made of um, root two and root three geometry, the geometry of the circle and the square, or heaven and earth. And there are three circles um, uh, visible and implied in this arch. There's obviously the circle that you see of the arch itself, the, the blue circle here, there is the red circle of the uh, exterior of these beautiful um, floral panels. And then there is the implied circle of these floral panels if you project their lines down to a center, which is exactly halfway um, between the top of the arch and the floor. So the, and these circles all relate to each other geometrically. Um, so this, what appears to be this um, static geometrical um, facade is actually moving. There are three different centers here. There are different geometries, giving it a kind of rhythm and a life um, which, which generates this sort of energy that um, just draws the eye in. Um, inside the mihrab, this is the ceiling, this lovely um, shell, which helped to project the voice of the muezzin. It is yet again uh, 19 segments. The number 19 appears many times in the mosque at Cordoba, the subject of another talk altogether. And again, uh, the, the voice, the, the origin of the voice is coming from this point at the origin of the shell. So you don't need to know any of that geometry to just contemplate um, this beautiful uh, mihrab. You can just let the information come in um, through the eye, but it derives it, it, its strength and its harmony out of what it's generated from. Um, Keith encouraged his students to do this kind of analysis. He did it himself endlessly. How did they make it? How did they, what did they use to create it? Um, <clears throat> how to understand what these forms um, gave forth. So this is the Alhambra. Um, this 
gorgeous fortress and palace. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about this, this was mostly built, certainly the, the Nazareth Palace inside was built after Ibn Arabi. Um, but we talked, um, Stephen mentioned the drawing of Ibn Arabi that was used as the layout for the Taj Mahal. This building, I believe, was uh, informed, at least the palaces, the Nazareth Palace inside it, were directly or indirectly informed by, by the study of Ibn Arabi. Um, the two principal viziers um, who were responsible for laying out the Nazareth Palace, Ibn al-Khatib and Ibn Zamrak, uh, the viziers of Muhammad V and Yusuf I, were themselves um, students of the North African um, Sufi Ibn Mazuk, who himself was well known to be a student of Ibn Arabi. So I believe the understanding of the kind of insight that Ibn Arabi brought to geometry, the understanding of how forms of this world come about principally, um, found its way directly into the construction of the Alhambra. Those of you who know it, um, know it is not, this palace is not laid out in a kind of formal progression of symmetrical rooms. Uh, you weave in and out of these um, gorgeous courtyards. Um, each one just a perfectly proportioned, harmonious um, shape, um, most often with a fountain in its midst. And the source of the fountain is also the point at the center of the geometry that lays it out. So the, the, the point that gives life um, is indicated through this water. This is the lovely court of the Myrtles, um, the central courtyard where the public came. This has two fountains, one at each end with these sources, um, these glorious reflections everywhere. People have <coughs> said the Alhambra is constructed of light and water. Um, and here's the glorious court of the lions. Um, an extraordinary, each of these courtyards, again, this has a fountain in its middle um, with the 12 lions and the four rivers coming out from the center. It's an image of paradise, an image of perfection, an image of salam, and proportioned so perfectly to bring the senses into a uh, quietness. So the, the vision, um, the ears, the sound of water, the feeling of the breezes blowing through, the fragrances brought into a sense of of harmony, a centering, um, so that there's a embodied cognition, that the body itself, this three-dimensional body, can find its its right its right posture, um, and it's like an invitation to enter um, that state that Ibn Arabi describes, where uh, the senses ascend and the meanings descend. Um, 
here's one of those pavilions. There's geometry everywhere, geometry in the plaster. Very delicate, um, not very light. And here's some analysis of some of the geometry of that pavilion. Again, route two and route three proportional systems. Um, this is a sketch that fell out of one of my books this week. This is one of Keith's rough sketches of the geometry of the layout. Um, as you can see, hexagonal route three geometry of the layout of the courtyard and the pavilions. Um, this is a, not my photograph, but I love this photograph of the Alhambra in the rain. It reminds me of Bilkis uh, meeting Solomon, the glass pavement. And then this wonderful three-dimensional geometry of the Mukanas, this incredibly complex um, geometrical forms that hook together to create these domes um, of light. Um, with these windows around the edge, just reflecting the light down. Geometry everywhere. Incredibly complex geometry covering all the symmetries. Um, geometry in floral arrangements, geometry in plaster, geometry in wood, um, geometry in tile work. Um, it's an absolute wealth of exquisite geometry. So just to drill down for a moment on um, a small section of just one panel amongst the hundreds in the Alhambra, um, and to look at what we see here. Each of these, uh, at the center of each of these star-shaped arabesques, um, is the point of the geometer put the point of their compass in. These are um, points of origin, multiple ones. Um, multiple ones here in this detail and multiple ones throughout the whole of the Alhambra. And each point uh, is generating a different figure. So there's the 12-sided, the 8-sided, the 4-sided, the 6-sided in this particular um, piece of geometry and each and then they interrelate absolutely beautifully in these gorgeous lines that um, weave in and out in this um, moving um, connections. So if we follow Ibn Arabi, um, the point at the center of each of these, it, it's Ayn, it's um, identity, is the Huck. Um, is the origin of its being. And the huck appears, um, the, the word huck, truth, has a related meaning of right, because it is the essential realities within the huck that demand to be known. So each of these manifestations that emerge out of the point at the center emerge with a right, um, a right to be um, and a right to be what they are. So what that tells us is that entities appear um, with a justice, that the justice is part of the essential being. It is not an added on quality. 
justice is not a socially constructed thing, although we do socially construct versions of justice. Um, we lean towards it. We are drawn to it in the same way that we are drawn to our origin because it is our origin. And when um, the Huck, um, there's um, a saying that those who know the Huck in its true sense are known as the Muhakikum, those who give all that have a right their due. So when the entities are given their right, um, then they relate together in this beautiful, um, harmonious pattern, peace, peace completion. So when the people on the streets um, are shouting out, no justice, no peace, they are literally affirming what this um, beautiful geometry is saying. Um, peace actually doesn't exist without justice. Um, true peace, as um, Martin Luther King said, is not the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. And I think that informs um, the whole of the Alhambra. It is not just a pretty place. Um, it is beautiful. It uh, is seductively gorgeous. You are drawn into it. Um, you want to be there. Um, it has multiple ways of attracting you. Um, it looks very delicate, but it is incredibly strong. It's built on firm foundations um, of principle um, with an intellectual uh, rigor and a kind of essential justice, um, which the geometry kind of brings forth. And I think that's why it's been, um, it's still alive. It's still so loved today. Even the Catholic monarchs who destroyed so much of Muslim culture in Spain kept this. They did not want this um, destroyed. So this is the final slide. Um, this is the mirador of the Lindaraja. It's just outside the Court of the Lions, just one of the most beautiful windows I know of. Um, and it makes a point um, in the poetry around the edge, which is written by Ibn um, Samrak, about the Ayn, about this, um, this word, this center, this wellspring, this um, being, this essence, this pupil of the eye. He writes, or the script writes, here I breathe fresh breezes. The air is healthy and the zephyr agreeable. I join together all the beauties. Surely I am in this garden and I filled with joy and the pupil of this eye is veritably my Lord. So thank you.